you, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it's our God. Jesus Christ has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Well, 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 here we are back again, back again. Welcome, folks. It's your boy, as always, Daniel White Hodge here in the place to be. Another week, another place. My gosh, seems like we're just moving along. I don't know how it is for you, but as an educator, um, you know, we're heading into week seven, which is, you know, right almost at the middle of our semester. We're on semesters and uh, feels like uh, at least this this semester is going by really quick, exponentially quick. But maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the day in and day out and just feels like, you know, more of the same. I don't know how it is for you, wherever you're at for with however you're spending the pandemic. But you know, uh, to date, uh, none of us have gotten, at least in the family, have gotten um, vaccines. And so much of, uh, you know, just the COVID experience, right, has been just, man, you know, it's literally just the, all the days seem to mesh together. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it just seems like just, you know, day day in, day out, day in, day out. I am looking forward to um, spring. Uh, I think, you know, winter kind of puts a little bit of uh, a bog on all that. Although I will say here in Chicago, at least here as this is being recorded in the year of our Lord 2021, that uh, it's been rather warm. I would say unseasonably warm. Um, I know we've gotten some, you know, much more snowfall than we had last year um, at this same time. But, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, this whole last week, you know, which February is usually the coldest snowiest month uh, at least through you know march um and the fact that you know you have snow melting all over the place it's just a messy slushy muddy mess which i really wasn't expecting until at least mid-march late march uh and here we are which you know just begs the question you know what is you know what is the effects of climate change right now um I truly believe, and I am no climatologist, I am no geologist, I am no meteorologist, uh, but based off of the data that people like that who are those and experts in those areas have said uh, that, um, you know, within 10, 15 years, I think that Chicago will be um, the climate closer to Los Angeles um, in that area. And I think those areas will just become just unbearably hot. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I think about that just, I think a lot about the future. I think a lot about what it means to be, what it means to be, you know, a, uh, a faith. I don't want to say believer. I was going to say believer, but I think that's, you know, that's still that evangel language. Um, you know, what does it mean to be uh, a committed citizen, you know, to this, to the world? And 
I, you know, at a time because I, I I do think we're we're seeing rapid changes. I think um, we're 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 seeing you know we're, whether it be technologically. I mean now now we got a rover on Mars, right? I talked about a little bit that last about that last week, right? Um, um, and I you know I I think it's a matter of time before the powers that be you know release the information about you know life on other planets, which will beg the question, a serious question of. What does the second Genesis story look like? What is the third, a fifth, a tenth, a hundredth Genesis story? What does it mean, you know, to find life on other planets? Um, because then that will change the theological narrative around. And if, as we know, at least the within the Abrahamic faith, you know, religion is big money. Um, and here in the United States, Christianity is, is big money. It uh, fuels and runs um a lot of different things and and more than more importantly than that there is the nostalgic you know belief systems and constructs around theodicy and um you know christian ontology really um and that is bigger i think you know even than the money right this belief system in something that is bigger than us something that is wider and 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 out there right and and you know ideological constructs are nothing nothing to mess around with i mean they are big uh because they shape every fabric and being of our body i've talked about this plenty here on the show um so to to reveal that life is uh, on another planet and especially intelligent life i think you know it's one thing to say okay there's microbes there's biologies whatnot but to think there is intelligent life on another planet and to really really process that um because you're right. I mean, think about that. It's like with Jenny, I have so many questions, right? How did you originate? Originate? You know, what was your origin story? Um, you know, could we even communicate with you know with one another? Are we able? You know, is the you know is the humanoid you know a a one off for this planet? You know, that's you know that's been evolutionized you know, around this planet's gravitational pool and uh, atmospheric conditions and whatnot. I mean, right. And I say that because, you know, they found life in places that they don't, they, there shouldn't be life, right? There shouldn't be life, you know, four miles deep in the ocean, but there is. There shouldn't be life in highly acidic conditions, but there is. There shouldn't be life in highly, you know, in intense heat, intense places, but there is. So, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, that would reshape our theological narrative, which I, for one, as I'm sure you know, uh, would welcome that. I, I would welcome a revised theological narrative that reshapes how we see who God may be. Um, so I'll be curious to see, you know, they're saying that, they, you know, they want to, you know, put a person on Mars here. Um, and, you know, and I know that the stuff that's given to us, the information that's given to us, I think about... You know, the several billionaires that are out there. I think there's one from Russia. There's like, what, four here in the U.S. that are trying to, you know, it's a space race. But rather than it being NASA, uh, these, these are privatized individuals and whatnot. And so, you know, imagine having enough money to be able to build a rocket ship to go out into space. Um, that shit just, it it just blows my mind all the time. It, it always, you know, it always, it, 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 it cause you know, you think about it, it's like, well, but what about all the problems here? Going back to climate change, it's like, what what will this planet be like <laughs> in 15, 20 years? What will this planet look like? Uh, because we got some major things <laughs> happening. So, 
Um, and we haven't even talked about anything catastrophic, right? Like, you know, poles reversing, um, you know, a, you know, which, which happens, right? The magnetic poles have reversed. Um, and, um, you know, a second ice age or a, you know, another warm up or, you know, and I know people have talked about it, you know, a whole bunch, right? About, you know, the whole, uh, what is it? The, uh, you know, if an asteroid hit or whatever. But, uh, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, we're living in an ever-changing climate. Uh, what do we do with AI, you know, artificial intelligence, right? When you start thinking about, you know, where we're at as a society, the technological advances. I always blow my students' minds away, and I'm not tooting my own horn as much as I'm saying. There are some things out there that happen with artificial intelligence. For example, a computer and a human brain talking to each other. That has happened. That's in fact, that's old. That's old news. That happened six years ago, um, at least. Um, you know, to be able to interpret, quantize thoughts. You know, so the idea and notion of being able to metricize the uh, dreams is not that far away. <laughs> um, so again, technology. What is our relationship to technology? What is our relationship to religion and technology? How then do we understand how that affects our climate? How what does that then mean for us? Right? I mean, I think about Tesla, uh, Nikola Tesla, um, and you know, I mean, all the stuff that he was working on, right? I mean, because think about it, the inventions that were happening in the in the late 19th century, um, and a lot of those were from black people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it out there. Um, I think about Nikola Tesla's, you know, idea and construct around zero point energy where, you know, you create energy, um, you know, in in zero point space. Like essentially, I could sit here in my studio um, having the right conditions and the right, um, you know, atomic conditions and I can create energy, zero point energy. Um, all these things are fascinating to me, right? I think about, you know, we could right now have a society run on electricity. What is the, I'm forgetting the guy's name uh, who runs, uh, who is the CEO of uh, Five Hour Energy Drink. Uh, you know, he's a scientist and he's like, you know, a venture capitalist and well as well. And has given money to people to, you know, create inventive things. And I think this was like, again, another five, six years ago. This is, this is old, right? Uh, that... You know, he had invented a bike where if you ride it for one hour, the kinetic energy, uh, connect, you know, created in that could actually power your entire house uh, for 48 hours. Right. Um, think about that. Think about that. We can get exercise. <laughs> right. We can get, uh, you know, we can get all that stuff like all of if all of us were in there and then we could store up energy. You know, what would that look like? But you have to ask, right, it's like for the love of money. And this is where I think, you know, some of those proverbial items of the Bible really do stick out, right? It's like for the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, it, 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 is, it is something that I think about a lot because it's like, you know, big, big gas is controlling things, right? You have, and, and, and we know for a long time, right, that religious mofos have, 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 have you know, controlled shit. And, you know, which brings us to a point, you know, I didn't even mention this last week uh, because I don't know, I, I had forgotten, but uh, that motherfucking Rush Limbaugh finally died. <laughs> Man, yo, I ain't even gonna front. I was so happy that that motherfucker died. I was like, God damn, that's great. And don't be coming at me with like, oh, but oh, no, hell no, man, fuck him. He was so evil. <laughs> 
and he knew exactly what he was doing. But what was even bigger than that for three fucking decades, really longer than that, but for three decades, this motherfucker spewed lies, spewed hate, right? Uh, went all in with Obama. He helped create the Donald Trump era, right? He helped create what Donald Trump, and Donald Trump was already Donald Trump, right? He was already a fucker. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is, is that his political agenda, right? The, the amount of shitholes and racists and fuckwads that were in the White House under his leadership was created under Limbaugh. Limbaugh, I mean, I remember for a minute, hot minute, I listened to him, not because I agreed with him, but because I wanted to study and understand his rhetorical discourse on life and race. I mean, in the shit that he spewed out there, right? The lies that he put out there, the way he could rile up people. <laughs> Man, dude, I don't care what y'all say. Oh, well, you know, we shouldn't wish death upon anybody. I'm glad that motherfucker's dead. All right. And wherever he's at right now, I'll it'd be funny, though. Right. If, you know, like just if I could have an, uh, uh, a picture into the afterlife to see, you know, see when this motherfucker get to heaven and he sees that God is black. <laughs> right. Oh, Jesus. I would pay money for that. I would pay money for that. So, yeah, don't be sending me messages about like, oh, but no, no. Hell no, nah, man. I am so glad he's dead. And I'm waiting for a few other motherfuckers to kick off. Reagan, at least, is already dead. Um, and so is George Bush Sr. So, you know, it's like we got some of these motherfuckers out of here, but there's still a lot of fuckery out there. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta take it with a, take it, take it with a grain of salt. So anyways, these are just my, my, my thoughts, uh, of the week. I think about it, um, a lot primarily because, um, you know, I, as you know, I, 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 I like to better understand like what's out there. And I know it's going to have to, you know, for me, my research is going to have to remain in a book um, because I know I'll never make it to another planet. Um, I know I'll never make it to any of the exoplanets. In fact, um, well, it depends on the different philosophies or the different theories that you hear that are out there. One, you can take what's in front of you and think, oh, well, the technology we have right now, right, to just get out to get to Alpha Centauri, which is what, four light years, five light years away, um, you know, at our current technology, it would take us thousands of years, right? Or you can believe people like Bob Lazar and people who came out of Area 51 who say we already been had that technology. Like we have people off planet right now. Uh, which is interesting. Some of the findings that even uh, what you what your boy, the one who um, stole all those secrets uh, and now is living in Russia for free is still he's still alive. Um, this is how you know is uh, is is you know white privilege, right? It's like this motherfucker. What was his name? I'm forgetting his name. Um, yeah, I'm still now somebody's just is, is saying it right now. But the dude, uh, he was military, and then he exposed all the secrets. Um, went online. I know y'all, y'all will be like emailing me, telling me this stuff. And that's, and that's probably good. But, uh, Snowden, Snowden, there we go. Edward Snowden. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, he had found if you, you know, you read some of his, uh, his findings and whatnot, you know, he had found that there were several, you know, high ranking officers that, you know, that were, that had been off planet, uh, for many years, uh, you know, much longer than I forget the dude's name. Who's the astronaut who lived, you know, out in space for like 765 days or something like that you know they're exposed to microgravity and everything and, and whatnot but these 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 cats 
they were on some file in the Pentagon. And anyways, you should look some of this stuff up, man. I mean, fascinating stuff that's out there in regards to it. And again, I don't want to sound like, oh man, Bigfoot's real, even though, you know, you never know if Bigfoot's real. Bigfoot could be listening right now. Shit. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I and and and, and I, I I say that because I think I want to help us expand our minds just a little bit because I do think there is something called you know parascience and paranormal activities that we just can't explain right um and i think it's important for us to 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 better understand where those things again fit into the cosmicness of who we are in life that's all that's all just some of my own thoughts as we're thinking about this week um i want to get to our guest because last week this is part two last week uh, I heard from a lot of y'all, man, y'all love Pablo. That brother's breaking shit down. Well, I wanted to interview his spouse, Anna. Man, she is amazing. And one of the reasons I wanted to interview her because one, uh, she is the spouse of Pablo and having, you know, it's like there's always a, a, a dynamic that happens when you have somebody who works for an evangelical outreach organization like Pablo did, you know, right? And the spouse, especially when it's a man uh, and, and the spouse is a woman, that dynamic that happens, especially if the other the other person is saying, man, I don't believe in God anymore. Whoo, Lord have mercy, right? Because again, those organizations feel like they own you, right? They don't fucking own you. They go, oh man, how can you do that, right? It's always nice when, you know, you both believe the same or at least, um, you know, behind closed doors, you can, you know, uh, or, but you know, the public image of you is, is, um, it still looks like they, that y'all believe and you know kind of doing all the things and checking off the marks that you're supposed to um but once that becomes public oh my gosh then it becomes a big you know bigger uh, ordeal so i was like uh, yo pablo if i talk with you i gotta talk with your spouse Anna. and he was like of course man and she came on and i just had you gonna love this conversation just listen to her perspective um listen to where they're at now um, this is great. I mean, she's an artist uh, living and creating uh, out in Denver metro area, of course, in Colorado. She was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and then later went to college in Santa Barbara, where she received a bachelor's of fine art. She's an amazing artist, and I'm going to put all of her links in the show notes. So I please, I don't highly recommend it. I just go check her work out and buy her shit, support her stuff. She is amazing. Um, and has been creating since she was a child, starting with wood and glue and later moving on to charcoal and paint and canvas. Uh, Meraki is Greek for doing something with soul, creativity, or love to put something of yourself into your work. This is part of her um, her website as well. Uh, every piece Anna creates has a story. She creates with love and soul, and she leaves a bit of herself in everything she does. She is her truest self when she is creating art that inspires. And we're going to talk about this, especially both of us are Enneagram 4s, right? What she creates with her hands is her way of expanding, liberating, exploring, and processing the world around her. Oh my goodness, I'm telling y'all, this was an amazing conversation and I was so thankful um, that they both agreed to uh, to this uh, because to have them both on and to have a conversation around what it means to be the spouse, the other person, right? And, and working and nuancing those relationships because that shit is real, yo. That shit is real and that's part of the conversations I want to have on this show. So enjoy this conversation. Check out the show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com. Check out Profane Faith. You got all the show notes there. Catch up on some episodes if you haven't. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Like us, rate us, all those good things. Yeah? All right. Here we go, y'all. 
Anna and I. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Well, welcome to Profane Faith, Anna. Thank you, Dr. Hodge. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. And please, by all means, call me Dan. I'm, I'm just Dan. I appreciate all that. That's yes. I know we met once, right? Has it been once? Yes, we have definitely met once. Um, I don't remember exactly when. It was in Chicago. But I remember yeah. meeting you and your wife. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I remember because I remember Pablo had us out to Denver and I we came out and like you met us at the airport or some one of the train yeah. stations or something like that. But yeah. um, well, one of the questions I ask everyone is what has been happening from birth to now? And I have several questions for you, but I wanted to start there. <laughs> and start there. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, to share with everybody, we're both Enneagram 4. So I'm excited to hop into this today. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Really? I am the last of four kids. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. And yeah. So I got a big family, big, loud, boisterous family. I used to say like there was no peacekeepers or peacemakers in our family. <laughs> um, and I basically, I like was raised, like you said, I'm an Enneagram four. I was raised in a house full of very educated overachieving, articulate humans that I didn't really fit into that box. And so <laughs> I had to learn how to adapt. And um, some of that sowed some like seeds of insecurity that I'm still derooting, honestly, because okay. I just wired differently than the family I was raised by. Yeah, um, yeah, I get that. So grew up in Phoenix, which is not, I mean, it's, you know, it's hot, it's dry and wanted to get out as soon as I could, get a, like out into my own space. So um, went to school in California, um, majored in art at a liberal arts Christian college out there. There you there. go. There you go. Um, and kind of broke through a lot of different uh, expectations of what I would do with my life, with my family and okay. like that. Um, that's where I met a man that I fell head over heels in love with. All right. Um, and ended up marrying him right out of college. So very young. It was like, he's a little bit older than me, which you already had a conversation with him, Pablo. Um, got married, um, moved about a year later, maybe nine months later to Chicago to do ministry within Chicago okay. uh, through Young Life. Mm -hmm. Lived there for five, a little over five years. Um, it was really hard hmm. um, being a ministry spouse. Life looked very different than what I had thought. I okay. had not necessarily wanted to go to college. Didn't want um, to be married. I wanted to. I wanted the like idealistic artist life of going to Europe and like working in coffee shops and bars just to like pay for my rent and food and canvas and paint. Like that was my idea. <laughs> Um, and I couldn't have gotten further from that. Um, and we ended up having a kiddo, which was, again, not a part of my, I didn't anticipate or desire to be a mother. Um, so that was a pretty big pivot and left turn that I didn't foresee um, mm. or desire, um, which was a huge identity, like part of my identity just broke. Um, and 
then after a while, I was like, I'm done with Chicago. I can't do it. It's too hard. Um, raising a kid, it felt like we were on the opposite side of the world from my family. And it was really hard. And so um, I was the one who said, our child and I are moving to Denver where I have family mm-hmm. and if you want to come, you're welcome. I said that to Pablo. And about a year later, we moved to Chicago or to Denver. Okay. Um, had another kid. That one was by choice, vastly, two vastly different experiences. And so now I'm, um, you know, more than 10 years past college, finally fighting my way back to having mm. a studio and painting and, I am now a full-time birth doula as well, so that's a huge, the irony is not lost on me about not wanting children, and now my job is to bring babies, help bring babies into the world. Um, so yeah, that's kind of birth to now. Wow. In a fast little snippet. No, I love it. I love all of it. I mean, so so I got, okay, so for a couple of different things, because and, and for those listening, I love your art, I love what you do. And and I will post those links uh, in the show notes because I think everybody who's listening he needs to go check it out. I mean, I'm even just seeing glimpses of it in the background of us talking right now. Um, so tell me a little bit about just how was it then being uh, in your family, marrying somebody like Pablo? And then ultimately, I want to know how <laughs> what was it like to be a ministry spouse? And I ask that primarily because. Both Emily and I, uh, we well, we met in in Colorado Springs at the Young Life, you know, the the mecca of of all the things <laughs> white evangelicalism, right? Um, and you know, she had her well, she was from the Twin Cities, I was from California. She had her respective community donors, the whole nine. But when we got married. I think what stood out to me, and I didn't get it at first, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I feel all woke and everything now, but that's 20 years, one years <laughs> later. Um, but I didn't, it, it, her image and persona shifted and everybody like focused on me. So that's, I'm just, no holds barred. That's 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 what I, that's the context of that question, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. So being raised in my family, so I was v- raised very conservative, Christian, traditional, like way right, um, conservative, Republican, what I would identify now is like some really toxic patriarchy <laughs> misogynist, like all of those things okay. that like make my skin crawl. Okay. Uh, and I mean, but like, that's what I was raised in. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and then I married Pablo, who at the time was a non-citizen racial minority. I mean, he's still a racial minority, but he's since become a dual citizen. Um, and I mean, that broke, like, I had already been breaking the mold with my family, um, but that was, that was a biggie. He had a troubled past. My family knew a little bit about his troubled past. Um, they were not supportive of the person I was gonna marry or that I did marry. And the thing was, is that we, like I said, I got married really young. Pablo's five years older than me. So he was a little bit further along. Um, But like, we were babies and I hadn't, we had, like, we laugh now. Like, it's a miracle. I've I've been in therapy since Mm -hmm. two months after my second child. So like almost solid every 10 days for seven years. Like, amen. Come on. I've been been in it, been doing some work. Yes. We laugh of like, 
there's there's no explanation as to why he and I are still together. Um, and not even just still together, but like thriving and enjoying each other and challenging each other. Like we don't, um, we are not the same people that we were back then. Yes, yes. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, but so going into ministry, at the time, Pablo was super conservative Republican, like Christian, <laughs> you know, air quotes around. Um, and so going into ministry full time, he was a pastor's kid. I was also a pastor's kid. My mom was a women's pastor, has her master's of divinity. And um, the idea of becoming a spouse um, within ministry context within the Christian ministry context, it all, everything shifted to Pablo. My, I became so small mm. um, to, mm. we we would get into like drag out fights about how our life was based around making sure that what he wanted mm. and what he was looking for, that like he could thrive. And that meant that I sacrificed and completely disappeared, which became yeah. quite a like, something broke. Like I said, I had a child um, or we had a child that was not planned and something broke in me to where um, like we barely survived. I barely survived. It was very clear. Like it felt like everything that I was being told I needed to do and what the, what was expected of me as a ministry spouse, particularly in the ministry that we were, which there's a very clearly defined spouse for a young life spouse. And yeah. I speak about it from, as like a female, yes. a young life wife that you're going to do all of the, like you're going to prepare the meals for all the leaders meetings. You're going to <laughs> um, go to all, like, I mean, you're going to sacrifice everything, your space, yes. your life, which I'm only speaking about the context that I know. I'm sure that that transcends to other ministry oh, contexts. Oh, Anna. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but for me, I am, I'm pretty fiery. I'm pretty explosive at times. I love it. See, I I love it. (laughs) And I started to be like, yo, I need to be taking up some space. Like you have taken up enough. Right, right. Um, And I started to claw back. And a lot of it had to do with my female identity. I was very, again, um, I had to break these expectations and these, um, patriarchy, Christianity, all of these things. And the more every, I would take little pieces apart that like in my soul as an Enneagram four, I am like, I'm an empath to like the nth degree. And I, um, there's oftentimes where words fail. Again, that goes back to my deep rooted insecurity and my family being super articulate and that they oftentimes words come much later feelings I are paramount to me. And so even from being little and in college and then married, there were these things in my gut that just, it became very apparent that there were toxic mm-hmm. elements. And I just one at a time started to examine and if it didn't fit and, I, and it was like, I started to give voice to my intuition of like, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And if it's not right, I'm throwing it out, I'm burning it down. And I did it little by little by little until all of a sudden, well, for me, it wasn't all of a sudden, but uh, but for Pablo, all of a sudden, we're in a trip celebrating our marriage in Ireland. I love to travel. It's like part of my lifeblood. And I'm telling him like, 
you might know this, but maybe not. I'm no longer a Christian. In fact, like I don't want to label, but you're he's super analytical engineer minded. So he needs labels. Uh, So I'm like, if I'm going to put a label on it, I'm agnostic. And that, I mean, like we're in Dublin fighting and he's like, you can't talk about this. I might lose my job with young life. Mm. Like, and so all of this fear as I'm beginning to like expand and see how huge everything is and how limited and confined and almost like an octopus on a clam was like compressing me and like my life and the world through the lens of Christianity, through the lens of being a a ministry staff spouse, like all of these things, I'm starting to like break it apart. And then here comes my husband who at the time he was thinking he was woke too, um, was like, (laughs) you need to be quiet. You can't talk about this. Um, And I did, and I got quiet again. And it became incredibly resentful, Mm. like just lots of resent in our marriage. Mm. Um, But ultimately he, we left ministry. Yeah. um, Because the toxicity became too much, like just too much. Uh, yeah, well, and I think, wow, you said a lot. I appreciate you sharing. <laughs> this is great. I love it because I would say that that's replicated in a lot of different places. And and sure, it there is the young life factor, but I would also say that even even for some of the research that I've done on other evangelical outreach organizations, right? They're very patriarchal. Um, they're in, in, irregardless of their multicultural, multi-ethnic, they're patriarchal. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. From the jump. So yes. women are already expected and, and, and don't even think about having a same sex relationship. In, in any of that. I mean, <laughs> right. <whoa. laughs> right. Exactly. Or being, you know, by non-binary, the whole nine. So right. I think, this is exactly uh, what Emily, you know, my spouse, you know, went through and coming from an environment, obviously different, but, you know, coming from an environment where everybody was like, oh, man, let's give you money to all of a sudden now let's like her own church, her own home church was now like looking at me like and I and and I've never been like a missionary type like I, they were wanting me to like plant churches and shit. And I was like, I don't want to plant no no churches like what? What? Yeah. So. I would love to know what, because because I, I think everybody's faith journey or, or, or however they want to def- define it, you know, it looks different. And I, and I always said doubt is essential. I think it, it has to be part of the faith journey. Yeah. That being said, what led you to, to you know, to, to come to that label, to, to, to be able to say this, I'm Gnostic, I'm this. And, and, and coming from where you were, what was, talk through some of the process of, of coming to a yeah. point where you were just like, I don't know about all this stuff, man. Yeah. So, um, to me, okay. So like I said, words kind of fail at times. And so it was very much feelings of like, something's not right. And so that started when I was young and seeing my parents together, their relationship, um, as well as the messages that I was receiving. Um, but I didn't have words for that until I got out of it and got into, um, college and I mean my parents raised me to be like an incredible critical thinker like doubt ask the questions and I went to a college that was liberal um but still very much steeped I mean 
Christian college. Right. Um, <laughs> and so the, the things that started to turn over, um, again, I'm an empath and my intuition, I call it like my sixth sense. It's my superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were some relationships that really mattered in my life. Um, that did not align with what I was raised as a Kershaw Christian girl. Like the Kershaws was a thing in my church and that's my maiden name. And, um, <laughs> and one of my most intimate attachments is my sister. Um, I was one of the first, well, I don't know if I was one of the first people, but I remember going to her and being like, do you like women? And at the time she was much, she was three years, she's three years older than me. And so I was in, she was at the like beginning of college um, and I was still in high school and she had said no. And then it came out later that through ways that were not her own choosing that she was in fact gay. And, um, and then I was in college. And so, and this idea of same sex or non-binary, I mean, non-binary came later, honestly. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. like a, that was a stone that I wasn't quite ready to flip over and knew how to in, interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there was a time in college when I was like, when I believed the rhetoric of, um, of it's sin, it's a choice. Like she's going to hell if there was such a thing, like all of these things. And then I'm looking at my sister, I'm listening to the messages of love and being like, these are not, right. they don't match up. Right. Like, what the actual F is going on. This Mm -hmm. is disgusting and toxic and I can't handle it. And so I, that was the first one that kind of caused me to like actually take a significant step. And then after that, it was, I married a racial minority. And even though I had no idea about racial dynamics or um, the system I was raised in was, very racist and it took I mean again like I said earlier it is a miracle that Pablo and I are still married um the work that went into my white privilege and identifying that within our marriage um the work that went into his male privilege all of those things were very much wrapped up into Christianity and so as we took one part one apart at a time so the next thing was racial identity and how that went into our life. And um, the messages that I received being raised in Phoenix, which is the significant racism towards the Mexican population, specifically in that city, um, just beginning to unravel the, um, the narratives that were told to me about that. And that led me to if there is a divine, it is much bigger than this Western patriarchal um, construct mm-hmm. and interpretation of this Bible, uh, of this book. And eventually, as I began to, to continue to peel it apart, I think it had always been in me that this is just not true. This is this is too limiting. Um, and so I began to start talking about the universe or like the divine as opposed to God and a miraculous birth and resurrection and all of those things, I just started to interpret it through like pursuing native religion or um, Hinduism or Buddhism and like all of these different creation stories or religious stories and being like, everyone is just trying to make sense of Mm -hmm. the unknowable. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I just felt like I just took it all and blew it up and 
said, I, I don't believe any of it. It's just, I believe, um, I believe in energy and love and evil. I do believe in evil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do believe in um, some sort of, like, I, I don't know exactly what's out there, but I also don't know if we can know. Um, I believe that, like, Jesus is a documented human and his greatest message was love. And I will follow that. I will follow like love humans and like raise decent humans. Um, but all the other stuff I is too limiting. It's too, I just think it's unknowable. Absolutely. Well, you've said it. You said a lot. I love this because I think that, you know, in the pursuit, and I think, you know, there's so much of a reckoning that's happening, you know, throughout. I think the four years um, that, you know, Trump gave us um, have unraveled all this shit, right? And, yeah, I mean, I'm glad of Biden-Harris. I'm glad of the history being made there. I'm just somebody to continually kind of beat the drum of, like, None of that stuff is over. He's out of office. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. sure, his t- Twitter account is not open at the moment. <laughs> but right. the, all those ideological structures, we got to remember these people won by margins. It wasn't a landslide. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and like this is, and what we saw over the course of the four years, and we're talking again, like, in 2016 and 2020, two very obviously different outcomes, but not by much, like you said, but what was unearthed within, you know, once he started campaigning for both, what was given permission, like to become mainstream language. I mean, and not to become, like it wasn't given permission, but the like idea that this is new or that it's, um, or that it's going away now that we have a different person in office. Like it's, that's just such bullshit. And the, like what <laughs> yeah. came out was this, like just the reality became, I think it just became reality. It became yeah. like a visible, like just people able to step out and be like, this is who I am. It was given, like they, they had some courage. Um, and then additionally it showed the, like the complacency of like the white progressive, which I fall into, but the idea of like you at this point, like people who voted for Trump the second time around, like you, you done been told that right. like this, like right. you don't like you're now choosing to you're, it's no longer, you can't claim ignorance anymore. Like right. We know, we know it's very clear. And what is held as values and like, I mean, you can go down the list, but like that's always been there. It's just given more power. Yep. I mean, maybe not even more power because it's always had an enormous amount of power. But um, it's just for the naked eye now. It's not as oh, it's not as covert or like under the scene. It's yeah. Well, yeah. I, exactly. One, I, and I think that for me is is one of the few good things about the 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 Trump era was that. Racism was on full display. I mean, yeah. it, it was, and it was rampant. It wasn't, it was, it was like, if you needed proof of evil, you had four years of to see that shit 
in office, on the news, at the Her border. Right. Everywhere. <laughs> you know yes. what I'm saying? In grocery stores. Right. Like, <laughs> right. I mean. <laughs> I mean, and then this pandemic shows up. And I really, truly believe, like, you know, I, again, irregardless of where people are at, the pandemic showed up. And, you know, whether people want to uh, uh, theologically fetishize that and be or whatever, depending on which side of the aisle you fall on. Right. Because <laughs> um, I don't think Biden would have been able to carry the election had it not been for the the pandemic. The pandemic was a leveler. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially for black, black and brown and how the right. pandemic has like just dramatically impacted those populations vastly different than white and that yes it was mm-hmm, i agree with you yeah <laughs> well and I, and I think that that and i think for me it's it's interesting just to see the amount of people that are still just aren't i mean it's like i don't know if you ever there was an old dave Chappelle episode and i don't know where he stands on this now but you know it was back when uh, R. Kelly was first being brought into the news about, you know, his his yes. problems. Yes. <laughs> and Dave didn't believe it. And right. He was just like, ah, oh, they're just putting stuff on black people. And so he did a whole skit on what would make you believe that R. Kelly is bad. Like, you know, and he went through these whole things of like R. Kelly, like, you know, peeing on people, doing crazy yeah. stuff. Right. And everybody yeah. going laughing. But I feel like that's where like Trump supporters are. I was like, what will you believe to change your mind and I don't I haven't seen the line yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's just like one thing after another of like is this going to be enough? Yeah. And like and I say that because some significant attachments in my life mm-hmm. um are outspoken supporters of Trump. And Come every on. time yes. I remember like literally maybe the night before election mm-hmm. um election day I Pablo and I were in the hot tub and I was having like, not quite a panic attack because I know that's like an actual thing, but I mean, I I couldn't, I was crawling out of my skin Mm -hmm. and I was so angry and I was like, my voice was raised and I was telling him like, I am beyond furious that like, it wasn't enough that X happened. It wasn't enough that X happened. Like it's still not enough. Like what right. needs to be enough right. to change right. your perception for right. you to care about right. humans more right. than like this ideology, this rhetoric, this like, um, and it just, and it never was enough. They still voted the way they voted yeah, and they still are like, entrenched in it with like claws that I like it's just I I don't know what that line is it has not come yet right (laughs) and it baffles me it baffles me well it it does baffle me and I and and I and I say all this because I love what you're talking about about you know addressing issues of the divine I mean for for example for myself I have no as I've studied astronomy and astrophysics, barely getting into quantum uh, theory and whatnot, it it appears to me that there's some kind of organization to the cosmos, right? When you think about the filament structures that connect different galaxies, the fact that yeah. our planets are not spinning out of control, like right? It's like it, it doesn't make sense that we spin at the rate that we spin around the sun, but then the sun is also spinning around the center of the universe or the, the galaxy, excuse me. Yeah. Um, it, somebody, an astrophysicist has said it like this. They said, you know, to have gotten the things and getting life just the way it is right now, 
by saying it was just random. It'd be the equivalent of somebody trying to sharpshoot a, a soda bottle on the North Pole of the moon standing on Earth. Right. You know, right. so I, I don't believe, I mean, I, I believe that there is something beyond us, but to say that it's, it's this God that sits on high. I mean, and I'm sure you you already know. I mean, right? It's like there's so much that has been misinterpreted from Absolutely. Genesis to Revelation. Absolutely. I would say, like, and as an artist, so come on. Back when I was creating um, in college and still identified as Christian, it was like I am participating in, you know worship, you know, all the Christianese things as I create, I'm like worshiping the creator. And as I started to like get further and further from that, I mean, I won't deny there, we started the golden mean, all of like literally how mathematical beauty literally can be synthesized down and the, I don't even know all the things anymore, but shells and that we, we see the golden mean in certain kind of seashells and stuff like that, that are all, it's, it's not random. I still don't know what that means, but to put a box, I just feel like Christianity is such a small box. Right. And so we're talking about the right. divine or the universe. Um, I don't know, or like a, just a greater being. I don't know what that looks like. Um, again, a lot, of, especially in Pablo often asks for me to like have some like really well thought out answer to questions. Like he'll come at me with like, well, what do you think about creation and like the origin of life? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know enough about that. And also there's this part of me that like, I don't need to know it. Like, I don't think I'm missing out on something. Um, but it, do I believe that there's life after death and the, all of that kind of stuff? I don't think so. Um, how did life begin? I don't know, but I'm here now. And it, it just, it's not necessarily a value to me the way it is for other people. Yeah. And then so yeah. when I say that, yeah. it gets thrown out. They're like, well, you don't care about it. So it's probably not true. Or you're being oh. emotional. All of the things that right. are often said to fours or or empaths or women for not yeah. being super articulate and educated and having evidence and proof and things like that. <laughs> yes. All to, yes to all of that. And I think that that's the, one of the problems, I think, because it one of the things I it, it, that drives me nuts is the idea of of really binary thinking within particularly, you know, Christianity and the study of Christianity. I think it's so diverse. And when we look at it beyond the European Western mindset, right, where perfectionism and and paperwork and rules and dogmatic practices are really at the center, when you look back to Central Africa, for example, or even Western Africa, for that matter, Christianity was much more organic, much more about the community, much more about, there wasn't this almost lust for this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And everything centered around salvation, because it's like, and I've told this to Pablo, you know, a hundred times, I'm just like, you know, I could never work for an organization like Young Life again. Like it, it, it was what it was when it was when I was a part of it. Yes. <laughs> you know and we have gone past that. Exactly. <laughs> and there are some definite things where I'm like, okay, earning the right to be heard. I think that applies in a lot of different environments, right? I have to do that with my daughter. Sure. <laughs> she, 
she's just not going to be like, oh, well, you're my dad. I'm going to listen to everything you say. Well, no, I got to put in time. Um, But the notion that LGBTQ people are still, the fam is still making choices about their sexual identity, the fact that they are so animate about shutting out. And I think what did it for me, because I was pushing Pablo, just so you know. I was pushing him to get the hell out of that organization a long time ago. He didn't lift his head up for so long. I I know. I get it. I know. I know you were. I know you were. Because that's the thing. I mean, I think that those organizations chew us up. And when I mean us, I mean ethnic minorities. I mean women. I mean women of color. I have. And the people who stay, right, the elders that are state are so far, I I would dare I say, colonized in their mindset or they're so beat down that they don't really even have a voice anymore in those circles. Right. Right. I would also say even like when they come, when it comes to nonprofit, like you are beholden to your fundraising. And so even, even if. I, and I didn't necessarily hear this, but even if there were people up in like really high leadership who wanted to change or who wanted to um, have different ideologies and beliefs and different like break out of those molds, they're still beholden. And the number of times that they're like, we can't, we can't fight that fight because our numbers might go down. I remember Pablo talking through like, <laughs> I don't know if it was in the sixties or the seventies when yeah. Young Life, the first time that the Young Life put a black person, a black student yep. on their like relationship yeah. magazine and they lost a ton of funding. Yeah, people and lost now, their shit. Yeah, like I don't, so I mean, and we're not even touching on non-binary individuals. <laughs> right. Like, that's, just, that's just a realm that like, <laughs> like is not even right. a conversation. We're just talking about same sex at this point. Right. But yeah, I would say that like the conversation around religion, dogma, Christianity, like whatever box, whatever label you want to go on it. Earlier in the pandemic, I I was, I mean, everybody had their own way that they were engaging in it. It got real dark for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it became really, it was, I mean, it was real dark for everybody. Um, and still is. We're just learning how to manage it a little bit yeah, differently. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I started being like, I've been on this journey of figuring out my identity as a woman and who I am and all the things like that I either choose to shave off or make small. And I started into like, what are the words that I most identify with? And I was listening to a song um, because again, the words take a little bit, like a little longer to come out of me, of my depths. Um, But I was listening to a song by Dermot Kennedy and he had the lyric, your soul is a mix of chaos and art and you never keep them apart. And I, I still listen to this song and it makes me cry every time. And so I have a tattoo that only obviously you can see right now, but it's on my arm, on my body of the words that became most significant to who I am, which is chaos, fire, and art. Mm. Um, those are my identity. And okay. so talking about, so I might not have like a religious framework, but I have a way of interacting with the world. And one of the things going back to kind of what you're talking about of these boxes and these ways of engaging through ministry is this idea of chaos in that chaos is viewed as the word as 
dangerous or brings anxiety to people. But for me, it's, it's an entity. It's order just viewed from a different perspective. The idea of like the cosmos could to some people look, um, chaotic or disorganized, but like when you actually drill down to the math, there is order just reoriented. And honestly, for me, it's like an invitation to unlearn and to relearn and to um, like explore this like infinite abyss of things that we don't understand and can't possibly know. And I feel like that was just so, that's so lost in how I was raised mm-hmm. of like exploration and like taking something up. And like you had said, doubt and like, Fear. Fear is like a thief of joy. And what I was raised in was doubt and fear, like just absolute fear. You might go to hell. Like absolute shame. Like, and let's just take it apart. Let's be inquisitive. Let's dive into this dark abyss and see the different textures and beauty that come out of that, that is chaos in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. And I would I, I love that. That is that's that well said. I and I'll circle back to something you said too about, you know, like, oh, is there something do we know what happens after death and stuff? Here's the thing. Where did life start from? Scientists are still trying to figure that shit out. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Scientists. Right. Yeah. And if we look at the you know, and that's the thing I always tell folks, it's like look if you read a, a book like Genesis literally, then you have to de- give notion and give space then for incestual relationships Absolutely. <laughs> right <laughs> you're gonna have to at some point yes. you know even if adam some and sort of reckoning on a lot of different exactly <laughs> exactly exactly there is and if you don't believe that then at some point at noah you're gonna have to look at it and be like okay yes. so i in looking at those things and being able to say but it's like folks just get stuck at the I don't know, the Bible is not an end-all, be-all, right? And I think, and that's the thing, but when you have organizations, and again, not just to beat up on Young Life, but this goes across the board with Christian organizations because there is a sense of fear, there is a sense that we will lose power, right? Absolutely. You know, especially the way they talk about young people, oh, they're leaving the church, and I say, great, (laughs) great. Maybe a generation will actually not hate themselves for who they feel they are from birth, right? Oh, yes, yes. Maybe a generation will actually live into their ethnic identity without being told to just pray about it, right? Oh my God, So I'm like, let's give them a parting package and just say, farewell, bon voyage. Bon voyage, (laughs) and bring back your brilliance. Yes. And yes. us and show us. Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, and I feel like, you know, when once we get into creeds and signing contracts about this is how I believe, then it turns into the scarlet red letter. It's you, you oh the one. Gosh. What me? What right. me? Mm-mm, wasn't me. And then, you know, all that crap that's insinuated, you know, with that stuff. So how do you how do you maintain in, in a world that you know, we have constant information. We, uh, it's at, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, a time when television shut off at midnight, right? It would just be snowy until like 5.30 in the morning. Um, I don't think that exists anymore. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, you know, just given that, I've yet to read a study that says social media is helpful, <laughs> you Perhaps. know, for our Perhaps. mental health. <laughs> 
So how do you how do you maintain in 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 this patriarchy and you know and even now I mean I appreciate you sharing just all the details and stuff about you know marriage and, and whatnot and I appreciate that because I think there is a fairy tale within the Christian community particularly for women that once you get married that's that's your that's your end game. Absolutely, absolutely. So I was raised. Um, I mean, social media was like barely starting when I was going to college. Um, I think I had a Facebook account when I was in um, high school and I was like one of the first of my friends to have it. So, I mean, later on it became obviously way more pervasive. Um, And I look at my kids now and good Lord, I don't even, I don't even know how to parent in this right now. Like we're barely starting, we got a 10 year old and it's, it's nerve wracking. But um, how I survived now, honestly. So after I had my second kid, I had some significant postpartum depression mm. and um, was triggered by, and then like additionally had some, my mom, her voice was incredibly loud in my head and she said some things that it just was not the right time to say it about yeah. my parenting and this, like it was, and so it sent me deep and I, out of like um, sheer necessity for my life, uh, said, I need to see a therapist. And I researched and found one person um, and I have seen him, like I said, every 10 days, maybe every two weeks, but like not longer than that for seven years. So the way I stay present and engaged is through mental health mm-hmm. and Um, I'm also somebody who like my capacity and my appetite for like processing and digging and unearthing, like it is insatiable. And so I am constantly like churning for, because I want to see my magnitude, honestly, it's very selfish, but, um, I like, and the thing is, is I married somebody who is equally um, energized by that gets, and so we, we do it for each other. Um, I'm very well matched in my partnership with Pablo. And if, if that wasn't matched, if he was not somebody who was inquisitive or, um, like inner perspective, like looking inward and wanting to put pieces together and figure things out and peel back layers, um, for healing and wholeness, Mm -hmm. our marriage would never, would never work. Um, so therapy, being well-matched in my partnership, and honestly, allowing myself to begin to express in whatever way that happens and however it happens, that um, towards a fuller life, honestly, to where, like, if something doesn't fit into thriving for me or chaos for me, if it doesn't identify with my soul in a way that um, gives me life and continues to allow me to expand. It's pretty easily discarded, honestly. Um, I sound a little cutthroat, but it's part of survival. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it allows me, so this thing, so when I was, I've always been creative. That was not, um, nurtured in my house. Um, me going to school, like me going to school for an art degree was with it was still at a liberal arts college. So I still got all the like 
other stuff. I could still get a, say I got a BA somewhere else, not in just art, but that was very much to satisfy my family, my parents. Um, and after college, I stopped doing art and I talk about, I have this like pretty vivid image of younger Anna. I know what she's wearing. I know her hair <laughs> and she is in like this cave and she's emaciated and she's like trying wow. to claw her way out of wow. this cave wow. um, for oxygen and sunlight and nourishment. And she like, oftentimes she, she haunts me and um, she reminds me of if I am not alive, if this creative artist in you is not flourishing, the rest of your life will not only wither, it will like disintegrate. Mm -hmm. And so about maybe six years into our marriage, it got to this point where I was like, I cannot survive in this. It is too small. It is too confining. And so Pablo and I started going to therapy together and that, but it became quickly established that I needed a space for my creativity. And so I needed a way to express what was going on inside of me. And even now I'm still clawing my way out of that cave. It's so easy to go back into that as a woman and as a creative um, to say that like what I'm painting is just pretty flowers or it's just pretty, like, what am I trying to say? What is it compelling enough? Does it like connect with my audience? Am I stirring enough emotion? And so like the inner critic is super loud. Yeah. But the way that I survive, I have to create or else I will not survive. I might physically still be living, but I will not be, I will, I won't be surviving. I like that. That's, that is whew, not creating. I mean, I think that's when I finally came to that realization that I needed to be creative in some manner. And I think there were different outlets for it throughout my life. Right. It's like, yeah. uh, whether it be designing curriculum or whether it yeah. like, you know, writing a book. And now I find like you see like you, this music has been my, I mean, that was my first love. I mean, right. That yeah. was what I fell in love with first. Right. I, you know, saw my mom playing piano and she used to play organ for these different churches and everything. And I was like, man, I, I want to do that. Right. Like I was just yeah. attracted to music. Um, so that is, that's been a, a huge, huge thing. Plus I'm a night owl too and stuff. And so that's, <laughs> that always conflicts because Emily, you know, she's, she'll be up at, you know, six in the morning and I'm like, oh man. I don't know, Pablo, he like pops out of bed at 445 and he's doing like show tunes with like jazz hands. I'm like, get away. No, like, no. <laughs> Do not even rouse me until like 9 a.m. if it was up to me. That's honestly. it. That's right. Exactly. 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 Like I was up literally till like 2.30 last night just, you know, working on some stuff. We're not even working. I mean, I, for me, it's just I go to another place. I don't know if you've seen the movie um, Soul. Is it the one? Is it Soul? Yes. Yes. I, I love that movie, right? Because it's Beautiful. like it goes into that space. Yeah. <laughs> I told Pablo, so my kids have been home for Mm -hmm. eternity yeah. <laughs> right and, and like and again i mean covid has not been kind to the female um or Ooh. i'll say to the to the primary caregivers of our nation or of the world the number of women that have had to leave the workforce and all those things I've, i'm blessed because my job has still continued babies will still be born um but my creative side took a serious hit because i have a really hard time being creative with littles around sucking the life out of me and like the word mom became very traumatic in the last like 10 months um but they were in school they were back in person 
And um, I went into my studio and I was in there for like five hours. And when I'm in my studio, I, like you said, I go to a different place. I forget everything about my physical body. I won't go to the bathroom. I don't feed myself. I don't water myself. <laughs> Same way. I, yes. I come out and I feel like yes. it was kind of like, you know, hook <laughs> where that kid's touching Robin Williams' face. He's like, oh, there you are, Peter. It was like, oh, there I am. And right. then I was laid out. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even sustain life. I was just like on the ground. I'm like, this is not okay. <laughs> but I went, I go somewhere else. Like it's right. just, in college, I was working on my senior art show and my two best friends, they would take shifts. Who's got Anna for the next three hours? Who's <laughs> taking the food? Who's like going down into the basement and bringing her like spoonfuls of peanut butter to make sure that she's got some sort of nutrients. It just doesn't, <laughs> the physical body does not exist when I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I've, I've not heard it like that, but yes, that is exactly <laughs> it, yep. Yeah. I, what? Speaking of that, tell me, tell me about your art. Tell me who influences you. Who do you? Who you look to? How do you? What perspective do you come from? I mean, how? What is? Yeah. What is? What's that about? You know, it shifts and changes. I, when I was in high school and college, I loved to draw with charcoal and pencil, and I still love that. That's still my first love. Um, I do a whole lot more realistic and photorealism when I'm doing drawing um you can see behind me nobody else really can but some of my the way that i process trauma and mm. story has been through like i find some of the most significant healing through creating those stories and narratives and processing through them that way those are also incredibly intimate and so the those don't usually come for years later um but my influence is so right now i'm doing really large format oil paintings. Um, and it depends on kind of what I'm feeling. I did some furniture design as well when being in a, like in front of a canvas was too intimidating. So my mm. influences, I mean, Georgia O'Keeffe was a great love of mine in, um, in college. And she's got some awesome quotes in her story. She would go out into like the desert and lose herself. She called it her far away. She lived in New York with her husband who was a really famous photographer and she would go into New Mexico uh, by herself for months in just like a van packed with rice and water and canvases and paint. And she would just paint for wow. months by herself in isolation that was her far away. And like that spoke to me. Mm. Um, so she's a huge influence. Mark Rothko is another, like I love modern art. Um, the textures and the loud and how like um, expressive and emotional blocks of color are to me. Um, so I'm kind of all over the board, but right now doing a set and intention for myself this year and it's a dream and I hope to accomplish it. It's got, it's, I don't usually set goals for myself in art, but as I'm trying to step in and claim the title artist with a capital A. Um, yeah, I, it's a practice. I go into my studio as often as I can and like put in the work. I want to be a master of my craft and mm -hmm. right now that's painting and drawing. So that's, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that, I think that's just, like you said, the, the master right, of your, of, <laughs> of your craft. I mean, the ongoing pursuit of that, right. Um, the ongoing, the passion of it. And I think that's, and I, and the reason I wanted to ask that question again, because I think it's important that folks hear that. Cause I think there, there hasn't been the permission 
especially in religious settings, right? To be, to be who you are, right? We yeah. talk, people always talk about, oh, this identity in Christ. And I always tell students, almost on the first day of my, you know, when we talk about cultural identity in my classes, I'm just like, look, you can talk about all that shit about identity in Christ, <laughs> but that don't mean a goddamn thing because you have other identities and if you haven't identified, if you haven't embraced some of those things, right? And especially when it comes to things that don't fit within the standard norm of everyday operation. Women should do, men should yeah. do, um, the shoulds, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, the shoulds. The shoulds. <laughs> um, what, uh, let me, well, let me ask this. I got a couple different questions, but let me ask this. What do you, what do you, what are you currently looking at in, in, and, and reading and, and looking at like, okay, this is this is kind of the next area, this is the next step of, of evolution, of Anna evolution. Yeah. Well, um, I wanna go bigger. Um, so I started out the pandemic with buying, the, so I, it's real easy for me to spend a lot of money on Pablo and like further, I mean, I have, I like me working, I, this is a little off tangent, but um, when we were in Chicago, I was working for a financial advising firm as a compliance manager. Okay. That's about as far from an artist as you can possibly get. But right. I did it because I was making more money than him and it was helping sustain us. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of like financial equity within our family is, it's still new. Um, <laughs> and like my should of like, I should be supporting and all these different things. Anyways, all that to say, I spent some money on myself at the beginning of um, quarantine and bought the biggest canvas that I was, I mean, that I could, that I personally could. And that was 60 inches by 48 inches. And I mean, it was enormous. I almost like shit my pants looking at it in my <laughs> studio. I had to buy a bigger easel to even accommodate holding it. There like, you go. It was, it was huge. And I look at it now and I'm like, mm, too small, too small. So I want to go bigger. Um, I want to, right now I do very, like I said, photorealistic, even large, but like photorealistic. Um, I want to, I want to step away from that and challenge myself to do more abstract play with color. I want to mm -hmm. play honestly right now. I want to play. I want to get out of the expectation that, um, I still feel a lot of shoulds in mm. what my art should convey and is it good there was this like piece that I was talking to my therapist about and this makes me so frustrated but there was this image of these blue jugs that um that I was so drawn to and I was like I can paint those I can paint glass really well painting glass and water is incredibly difficult but I can paint it really well and I decided to paint it big and it was kind of this like this is a little crass, so I apologize if I shouldn't say this. No, come like on. Take, it was like, and I hate this metaphor because I wish there was something that wasn't masculine, but it's all that I've got. So it's kind of like taking my artist dick and just putting it on the table. Like, <laughs> there it is. I can do this. Not like I'm beyond talented in this. Like there is just some, there's a vein in me. Like some people can paint. Mm -hmm. I can really paint. I want to get away from those confines of like making it look exactly the same because to me that 
felt like I was giving it worth. I was telling myself, if you can paint it exactly like you see it, then it's a good painting. Mm. And I want to get away from that. I want to get away from those restrictions and confines and be like, I know I can do that, but what else is in me? What's another story I can tell? Um, and like I said, I go into a different place. And so I want to explore some emotions and feelings um, and see how they end up on a canvas. To me, like certain pieces are incredibly sexy and romantic that I have made, um, but they are very, they communicate exactly what it looks like. I want to see if I can create the same feelings and emotions and evoke different uh, emotions in myself and in non-representational abstract color and see where that takes me. And and to me, that is only big. I mean, like huge. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it. That's, and that's great stuff. I'm listening to you talk. I'm like, man, that is, that is great. Cause Whoo! Well, I remember. I, I'm sure a lot of folks can relate. As as a kid, I grew up watching. I don't. What was his name? The guy, the artist with the fuzzy hair, and he was always talking about putting Bob a little. Ross. There you go. The happy trees. Yes, yes. So I grew up watching that. He would come on every day. I would watch my cartoons in the morning. Yes. That's it. That's it. PBS. He would come on, and I thought, this is easy. Shit, I'm gonna go out. And I'm gonna I'm gonna paint some happy trees like a motherfucker. Shit, man, she was in heaven. I don't even know what happened to that canvas. I tried, and it was just, it. My 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 kid brain couldn't get around it. But again, I think it's important. I mean, like you said, like trying to do something over. I mean, it's the same thing. Like you know, I, again, I'm relating to you know back to music. It's like, and especially now with the electronics. So much is advanced. I mean, I came through yeah. in the analog era where yeah. you literally had to do everything. If you wanted to make it happen, you had to get extra creative. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're still utilizing some of those skills. So I appreciate what you are doing and trying to do uh, with yeah. your art and your work. I also would say, like, it just, like, it's, I want to challenge myself. I Again, mm -hmm. I'm a person who just wants to churn and, like, challenge and, like, I want to push the limit of my own um, creativity and my own like essence. And I mean, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I'm looking at a painting that I'm working right now and the feeling I'm like, I'm at that point where I'm either going to royally fuck it up or I'm going to end it beautifully. <laughs> like it's going to, it's and every piece I get to that point, like every single one, I'm like, I am a terrible artist. Um, but the, like, you have to push through that. And I want to challenge myself. Mm. And like, and, and the thing is, is like, I say I want to go big and I want to do this. I will tell you, I'm still buying canvases and things like that that are high quality. The paints I'm buying though, at the beginning, they are not, they're like student grade. Because I'm like, <laughs> what if I'm terrible at this? I don't want to spend a fortune. Like I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. doing my toe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's for real. That's for real. I mean, and I... Oh my gosh, that is yes. Again, just so many overlays with with just you know, like you said. I mean, I'm and my problem is is that whatever I do, I'm always a gearhead, meaning I want to get the latest and greatest yeah. new little gadget. And you know, I am a complete. Uh, I'm I'm addicted to um, what do you call those things? The the infomercials. Like if you. <laughs> You can sell me on just about anything in infomercials. I will get that shit. You know, I will get it. 
and run with it and that is my husband oh my gosh <laughs> that's great that's great i love it oh i knew i liked pablo for a reason man that uh yeah but that's the truth man i i, I got my ronco knives and you know set it and forget yeah. it and stuff so that's the challenge but you're right i think about it the other day this hit me the other day when i was making music and you know again looking online like oh this is all that gear i'm gonna get that keyboard and it hit me like you know the greats because i think about somebody like Quincy Jones, which I had the honor of, of meeting and talking with. This was back in like 94 at the NAMM show, National Music National Association of Music Merchants, for those who don't know what that is. I do miss going to that. That When I lived in California, that was such a privilege and a pleasure to go to. Because um, it was all music heads talking about music for literally four days straight. I would nerd out and just... And Quincy Jones gave a session, and I remember listening and talking to him you know again this just the greatness of somebody like that um and like the talent is within the artist not within the 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 equipment right it's like there's the you know it's like you can go and buy all the gear you want but again that that that's why i think about even the cheap paints like yeah but you but you've got the talent you've got that the the the, the drive to put that shit out there um and to make it look like damn how the hell did you do that yeah yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally, totally. <laughs> so let me let me ask this. I know we this is I could keep talking. This is great, Anna. Um, but what would you what would you recommend for somebody who you know maybe listening? Because I'm 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 finding more and more people who listen to this podcast as an escape. As you know, they're yeah. tied up in an organization right now. They're trying to leave, but they can't. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who, you know, maybe in a similar situation like you and, and and maybe is the spouse and just trying to kind of navigate that whole thing? Again, I remember when Pablo told me, like, man, young life is coming down on me. I don't know where y'all were in y'all's relationship. But when we talked, he was like, they're all trying to be like, oh, are you OK with your? Should we pray about your wife? And, you know, all you know, all that shit. Right. That comes down. How would you what would what advice or consejos, as my grandmother would say? <laughs> Oh man, that's a good question. Um, for me, <laughs> I would say, sorry, dog just walked. I love it. I love <laughs> it. That's right. Um, you know, there, as a spouse, there's a different. So, as a spouse, I was looking at my husband and being like, you are so much bigger than this. You are vastly more expansive and I want to see you explode and like be as vibrant as you can be um but it was kind of like you know when you when somebody when you know somebody should be in therapy you got to wait for them to make that choice I kept right. saying it right for, yeah for years I mean it was like a six every six months like are you ready yet are you ready yet <laughs> him going to like him going and getting his doctorate I was like we are not doing a Christian university. Like you are getting out of that. Like we need to expand our friend network. Like we need to get out of this super, like our entire life was young life in right. some way. Right. And we need to get away from that. And once he started lifting his head up. So I think the encouragement is just what you see in your partner, like that has value. And, the, and like your perspective on them, uh, at your spouse or your partner is vastly more like that voice should be so loud in your partner's head um 
calling out truth in them and what you want your life together to be. And so what I started talking about was like, we're very clear on what your dreams are. Um, We're not super clear on what my dreams are, but as a woman, like we're not really taught to dream. We're not really encouraged to dream. Our dream is to become, to get married and to have children. And that like makes my stomach crawl or like curdle, but like, um, the idea, like as I started to pursue what I was wanting to dream and what I wanted my life to look like, how could we put that together? So I would say like, what do you value? What, what causes you to be alive and like sit with it and, um, like go away, put your phone somewhere, go out in nature. I'm a huge proponent of going in nature and like connecting with the earth and grounding yourself, like go for a walk by yourself where no one can get to you and like mm-hmm. spend time and like do it religiously until you're confident and this is what I want, this is what I value, this is, and like that could be, you know, it could be whatever. Um, and then being able to have those vulnerable conversations with each other and saying what in our life doesn't fit that what needs to change to facilitate that in both of us and how do we work towards that together um and so i think that's one thing the other other sides is just at some point some things might need to break and there's Mm. there's some bravery and some courage Mm -hmm. to do that and so if you need to take time to do that that's fine like you don't want to like pull a muscle Mm. Um, is kind of the thing that we talked about a lot of like, but at some point there was a, there was a breaking point where I was like, I'm pulling the damn muscle. Like it, I cannot, I can't stretch little increments at a time. I can't move. I can't go at the pace of turning the Titanic. Like we are heading towards an iceberg. Yeah. I, I, we're done. Like I'm not doing this anymore. We got to blow it up. So, um, and yeah, for sure there was, I mean, Pablo still has a bit more of like a faith identity than I do. Um, and I still think he gets conversation, like people come at him like, yo, is Anna cool? Like, are we good? I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure he does. Yes, yes. <laughs> and like, um, and I love him because he's, he's fantastic in how he holds his ground and allows me to hold my ground. But um, yeah, I think that the partner, like I said, the partnership before, asking questions and like continuing to dig and like digging yourself. Um, yeah. I heard somebody the other day say like, if you don't know what you want to do, think back to when you were a kid and like, what was the thing that you actually wanted to do mm. when you were like, when you weren't told yet what life should look like, when you weren't told the shoulds, when you weren't told the roles or the identities and like go back to that, uh, that innocence and, and like have use that as your starting point. Um, and for me, when I was my most free was when I was creating and here I am now. So I I just heard that the other day, but I like that. I like that. That's a good word. That's a real good word. I think, Ooh, wow. This has been great, Anna. Um, it's hard to believe this, this hour just flew by, which is, which is (laughs) the way I always feel when I'm down here in the studio, I feel like hours feel like minutes i'm like it's 3 30 already like, <laughs> like yeah man you went in there it was like 10 in the morning <laughs> exactly. it's been great um where can folks find you maybe you know there's a city council person like right now and saying like man i need to get anna out we need to do our whole mural over here oh, yeah, <laughs> well if you're a local in denver and you're considering having a baby uh, you can find me at Ezra Dula, DenverEzraDula.com if you want support in having 
like birth support. Uh, if you want to get to know me as an artist, I my artist name is Meraki Studio, but my website is Meraki by Anna. Meraki is spelled E R or A K I. <laughs> it's a Greek word. Um, Meraki by Anna.com and Simply Anna O on Instagram. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And again, for those listening, you know, go to whitehodgepodcast.com, click on Profane Faith. You'll have all the show notes there and the links. You can click on them. Hire this woman to to do your to do your work, man. To do to, to put that creative edge. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time. This is this has been amazing. I really appreciate you sharing and, and being vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Hodge. It's been awesome. Thanks for just chatting with me, having a conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.